Dear friends in Christ, if you ever thought about jobs, some jobs are easier than others, but the people who are at Starbucks, those baristas, if you think they have an easy job, you better think twice. They have to go and interpret orders, and they have to have orders like this, espresso ice with a dollop of foam on top, venti ice, skinny hazelnut macchiato, Sugar-free syrup, extra shot, light ice, no whip. How about double venti with Frances Rose Cortado in a plastic cup with extra whipped cream? Now, you're probably wondering, what's the difference between a macchiato and a cortado? Well, cortados have less acid. Okay? Two espressos, one milk for a macchiato. One espresso, one milk for a cortado. This last one, I'm not even going to try to read. <laughs> you know, making sense of all this is like trying to read and understand Karl Barth, a theologian, his commentary on Romans 5. He says this, The meaning of the famous parallel so-called between Adam and Christ, which now follows, is not that the relationship between Adam and us is the expression of our true and original nature, so that we would have to recognize in Adam the fundamental truth of anthropology to which the subsequent relationships between Christ and us would have to fit and adapt itself. Isn't that a great commentary? Helps you understand it a lot better, right? That's all one sentence, too. How about this title of a graduate paper on geology? That's something to look at. Uh, in the parentheses, the circa, that it means approximately, and they have the years there, and the MA stands for like millions of years, the age. So really, in this whole paper, the writer is basically saying that he found rocks that are really old. <laughs> for another example of a difficult-to-understand material, we need to look no further than Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Let me read that to you. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. And with all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he proposed in Christ. To be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of God's glory. It's 12 verses long, and it contains 260 words in the NIV. A Bible commentator 
Michael Rognes, he says that the passage covers virtually every topic in Christianity. But in the original Greek, the whole thing is one sentence. And starting with verse 3 up there, and going all the way down to verse 14, the only period you would find if you could read that Greek would be at the very end. It's probably the longest sentence in the whole Greek New Testament. To help readers, biblical translators have broken that passage into several senses. It's eight senses in the NIV. But the text is still almost beyond comprehension, even to preachers who can read and understand Barth's commentaries. So if you found yourself dozing while I was reading all those verses from Ephesians 1, I can understand. Well, that being said, Rognes and others point out that the theme of the opening verses of his letter to the congregation at Ephesus is basically what God has done for us in Christ. That's a little easier to chew, isn't it? We could summarize it in this way. God has a plan for each of us, and it's accomplished in Christ. And God is already ushering us into a wonderful future ahead. Or as someone else had put it, the difference between Christianity and religion is how they are spelled. Religion is spelled D-O, do. Do this, do that. Do, do, do. Christianity is spelled done. Christ has already done everything needed. There's a story of a man who died and went up to heaven, and of course he meets St. Peter at the pearly gates, and Peter says, well, here's how it works. You need 100 points to get into heaven, and you tell me the good things that you've done, and I'll give you a certain number of points for each item depending on how good it is. When you reach 100 points, you can get in. Okay, the man said. So he started talking about his good things. And he says, I've been married to the same woman for 50 years, never cheated on her, not even in my heart. Peter says, that's wonderful. That's worth three points. The man's shocked. Three points. Well, he goes on and he says, well, I attended church all my life, and I supported it with my tithes and my service. Terrific, Peter. That's certainly worth one point. One point, the man complains. Well, he continues, I started up a soup kitchen, and I also worked as a volunteer at a shelter for homeless men. Fantastic, Peter says. Two points for that. The man's getting desperate. Two points. At this rate, I'll never make it into heaven except for the grace of God. Peter says, bingo! 100 points. Come on in. Well, in the first few verses of our text for today here, Paul speaks confidently of how God, first of all, chose us in Christ and how he had predestined us to be adopted children of him according to his will. And also, that gift of grace, he freely gave it to us. But we must be careful not to read church history back into this language. You'll know where in Ephesians is the notion of election used to suggest that some people are saved and some are just automatically condemned. There's a number of Christians who do believe that particular thinking. The glory of election for us is really a, something that is of praise and wonderment as we think about God. 
And in contrast to other ancient Near Eastern philosophies, those philosophies that thought about God being a distant type of God, we know that we have a God who is intimately involved in all of our aspects of life. And that's a comforting thought for us. And we also know that Scripture is clear as it is comforting for us. A choice has been made for us, and God made it. For all those who are saved or who will be saved, God made the choice in Christ for them. For all those who will be condemned or are condemned, it's because of their unbelief in Christ. Our assurance as Christians doesn't find its foundation on our choosing God, but in God choosing us in Christ. And that's the choice that matters the most. Before the foundation of the earth was laid, before the stars and the plants began their whirling, it was out of love and mercy that God chose you and me. Someone has said that the doctrine of predestination of the elect is the only doctrine where there's no law. It's all gospel. It's good news for us. Listen again to Paul. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then he goes on to say, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. God did not choose us because we would end up becoming better people. He didn't predestine us because we would make great strides in improving our lives. And believe it or not, God did not choose us or predestine us based on his foreknowledge that he ultimately knew that we would come to faith. No, it was rather because of his mercy and on account of his own son Jesus that God had chosen us even before time began. Now we know after we were born... The Holy Spirit was the one who called us through the waters of baptism or through the gospel and gave us the gift of faith so that we could believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And now through word and sacrament, as we join together here around this altar even today, we know that our faith is strengthened so that we may live for Christ and in service to him. A choice was made. God chose you. And because of that eternal fact, which is motivated by the Holy Spirit, we can make good choices. The Bible must be our guide. And there are too many Christians who are walking around saying, well, I'll just let the Holy Spirit tell me what to do. What they're really saying is, I'll just rely on my own emotions. Or when the mood strikes me, maybe I'll do something. The Spirit dear friends, always points us to the Word of God, the God who chooses us from eternity. And that means that we can make good choices. We can make an assessment of our situations that we're involved in. We can weigh the outcomes, and we make a choice. We can listen to what the doctor has to say and make a choice. We can listen to our children and see the choices that they make and as parents, too, we make a choice. We can choose to use our bodies in God-pleasing ways. We can choose to speak good things about other people 
as Paul says, always putting the best construction on everything. We can choose to make adult Bible study and children's Sunday school and every week worship a priority, something that we choose by God's grace to do. Because your eternity is really secure in God's choice, you can begin to make good choices for yourself and for others. One way to get at this is to just focus on those last two verses of the text. And they convey what it means to believe in Christ. One which is marked with a seal of the promised Holy Spirit. A deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of God's own people. Another Bible called the Message paraphrased. It says the calling of the seal of the Holy Spirit, it calls it the first installment of what's coming. A reminder that we get everything God has planned for us. So the term here, deposit, and the first installment term, they're really better translations than what some translations in the Bible call a pledge. The Greek word here, as you can see there, arabon, it simply means earnest money. It was given in advance of a real estate transaction, even in the biblical times. Earnest money is more than a guarantee. It's a partial payment, and it obligates both the seller and the payer to complete the transaction. Paul here applies the common business terms that they knew to how God deals with his people. And the experience of faith that we have now, which is given by the Holy Spirit, Paul says it, that indeed is earnest money. The first installment of what's coming. A reminder that we'll get everything that God has planned for us. Have you ever thought of your life as a first installment? In effect, this passage is saying that the highest experience of having peace and joy in Jesus is that it can be known in the world that this is only a small taste of what's coming for us. It's like going to the plush horse ice cream parlor. Got one right by our home, and there's one over in Palos Heights. And getting a sample of the grasshopper mint ice cream with the chocolate chunks, and they give you that tiny little spoon. Yeah, well, for under $5, you can get three big scoops of that and have a really big spoon to eat it. Paul's saying that someday we're going to be eating with big spoons. And for that, the bill, it's already been paid for in Christ. In the end, however, we have what we've always had. The witness of the Spirit within us, our faith, which is what the writer of the Hebrews says in chapter 11. He says faith is confidence in what we hope for. And it's assurance for th things that we do not see. And here in this first chapter of Ephesians, we have Paul's complicated statement that our life with God in the here and now is a guarantee of what is going to come in the future. A better life to come for all of us. In and through Christ, we have been saved. It's by God's choice from eternity that you are his child. We know that the Spirit has brought you through baptism and through the Word to faith. And it's God's choice here that He strengthens you. He strengthens you through His means of grace that you can live your life as a faithful father or mother, a faithful son or daughter, 
a neighbor, a church member, an employee, a retiree, a student, and a citizen of our country. It's all God's doing. It's all by God's choice. And God choosing us in Christ before the very foundation of the world? Well, that means that we can freely choose, not just with our lips, but also with our lives, to give him all the praise and glory. We can do that in Jesus' name. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all of our understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, who is your Lord and Savior. Amen.